The student ministry podcast you're about to hear is a lesson taught by Brother Kerry Schmidt during Wednesday night teen Bible study. The series is entitled Avoiding the Traps of the Teen Years, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. This week, open your outline. Here we go. We are going to talk about attitudes, bad attitudes. This is a huge trap, and by the way, not just for teenagers. Let me, let me let you in on a little secret here. Teenagers are, are by far not the only group that struggle with attitudes. I work with adults just about as much as I work with teenagers. And I will tell you honestly, I've dealt with more bad attitudes in adults in the last five years than I've dealt with bad attitudes in teenagers. It's amazing to me. I mean, what I'm going to teach you tonight, I would teach... To any group of adults, because this is not just a teen thing, this is, this is a life thing, we all tend to struggle with our attitude. Go to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3, and uh, let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. We're not going to tell the story of Daniel. We talked a little bit about it already, but Daniel... You know the story, captivity, uh, the, whole, the whole deal. I will not defile myself. But this verse sums it up and t- calls Daniel a man with an excellent spirit. And that's the, that's the word that keys in on attitude. Excellent spirit. And look at the verse. It says, this Daniel was what? This Daniel was what? Preferred. I want you to remember this. This is the Bible principle. An excellent spirit leads to you being preferred. Now let me just, before I even get into my introduction, get into the outline. When you apply for a job, when you begin to select somebody to date, down the road a little ways, when you um, try, to try out for a, a, a squad of some kind, or a team of some kind, or a um, uh, singing ensemble, or Anything that you are trying to emerge into or grow into or accomplish in your life, wouldn't it be good to be preferred? I mean, if you put an application in at Home Depot and there's 1,500 other people that are trying to get a job at Home Depot, wouldn't you like to be preferred? Now, just remember this, your attitude and what you re- how you respond to this particular trap will hinge, will determine what kind of preferring you get throughout the rest of your life. This, this one single thing. I know people that spend tens of thousands of dollars on a good education, but nobody would hire them because their attitude stinks. So they're incredibly smart, brilliant, stupid people. It's like, you know, I don't care how, how great your education is. I don't care where you come from and what your pedigree is. If your attitude stinks, I don't want you to work for me or in my company. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want my kids to be exposed to you. I mean, that's just how people look at people with bad attitudes. And this is a huge trap. And, and for, for the, I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Let's jump into the outline, though. Let's define attitude, okay? And I want you to write this down. Attitude is your spirit. It is your spiritual state of heart and mind. 
The Bible word is your spirit. And when you read the word spirit in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Daniel, and other books of the Bible, many times, not always, because sometimes it's referring to the Holy Spirit, but many times it's referring to your attitude, your spiritual state of heart and mind. Now, the second half of this is really important. Your attitude creates your outlook on life and impacts your behavior and responses. So in other words, your perspective, how you see your life, how you see the events of your life, how you respond to those events, the decisions you make, the behavior that comes out of you, much of the time it is a product of your attitude. And, and this is huge for you to get, guys. Everybody has bad things happen in their life. Bad circumstances do not produce a bad attitude. Things that don't go your way don't produce a bad attitude. A bad attitude is a choice. It is, it is your decision of how to respond to what's happening around you. I've seen people with difficult, difficult lives who, in spite of their difficulty, have exceptional attitudes. And then I've seen people with unbelievably good lives Everything's going good for them. Their mom and dad stayed married. They've got everything they need, everything they want, and yet they still have a rotten, bad attitude. Your attitude is not a product of your environment. It's not a product of who your parents are. It's not a product of what's going on in your life right now. It's not a product of if you had a bad hair day or if your boyfriend broke up with you or your girlfriend doesn't like you anymore. Or uh, It's not a product of, of those things around you. Your attitude is a product of of you inside. It's a product of your heart condition. It's a product of your choice. You can't control, we're gonna talk about this in a minute, you can't control a lot of things in your life, but when you have every attitude you ever have, whether it's happy or negative or rebellious or sarcastic or cynical, whatever your attitude, you chose to have it. And changing the circumstances won't change your attitude. Because it is not a product of your circumstances. It is a product of your decisions. Let's talk about the issue for a minute. Let me give you some statements. And you have these in your outline. We all struggle with the control of our attitude. I want to say that to you guys because, again, it's not just a teen problem. Hey, everybody look at me. Give me your eyes. Okay, confession time. I struggle sometimes with my attitude. My wife will tell you. My sons will tell you. There, I don't always have a good attitude. I want to. I, there's no excuse. I'm just telling you, you're not alone in the struggle for the control of your attitude or your spirit. It's something that everybody wrestles with, and you'll wrestle with the rest of your life. But it's a huge, it's a huge thing. Because if you let your attitude control you, it, it'll mess up your life on, on a lot of levels. So everybody struggles with the control of their attitude because we all face circumstances that we wish were different. We, everybody in this room, you might think you've got it worse than somebody else, but the fact of the matter is every single person in this room is going to face circumstances tomorrow or the next day or the next day that you wish were different. It might be something huge like my dad left or my mom left or I lost a loved one to death. It might be some massive trial or tragedy. It might be something really simple like I ran out of deodorant this morning and I didn't put any on. And now I stink and everybody hates me. 
or my hair didn't work today and I feel goofy and I just like, you know, it could just be how you slept. It could be that you're tired. A lot of things impact our attitude. We all wrestle with the control and we struggle with that control of our attitude. Secondly, look at this statement. If Satan can get your attitude, your state of mind, he can get the rest of your life because your outlook, your decisions, and your values flow from your attitude. Okay, watch this. Before you go to the next one, think it with me, okay? If Satan can get my mind, my thoughts, my heart twisted, where my attitude is cynical, sarcastic, defiant, rebellious, if he can get that, then I'm going to decide to do some things born out of that attitude. Oh, well, why should I care? And my decisions are going to be wrong. Because my attitude, my perspective is wrong, my decisions are going to be wrong, my responses are going to be wrong, and that's going to bring results. And so every time I've got a bad attitude, I'm going to make bad decisions. Those bad decisions bring bad consequences. Listen up, please. And those bad consequences ultimately build a bad life. So if Satan can get your attitude, okay, let's just talk about team Bible study. Some of you came in here tonight with a great attitude. And, and you're, I mean, you just came in here to learn, and you're, and you're hungry, and you're desiring to grow, and you're desiring to prepare, and you're just there. Some of you came in here with a, with a completely disconnected, sarcastic attitude. Ah. And some of you, 15 minutes in the Bible study, still have the giggles and goofing around. And it's, you know, it's time to dial in. Some of you came in here with a bad attitude because you had a fight with your parents this afternoon, or they're making you come. Or, and and so, here, so who's getting something out of the Bible study? Not the ones with a bad attitude. Not the ones with the sarcastic attitude. The only ones that are really receiving something right now are the ones that came in going, okay, let's... And so that good, that good attitude results in a good decision, which is going to bring good fruit in your life, and your whole life is going to be a product of the attitudes you keep. So Satan can get your attitude. He wins a lot of battles. Third statement. Third statement. Here it is. You do not have the power to choose many events of your life, but you always have the power to choose your attitude. And this applies at every level, okay? I can't control how much homework my history or my science teacher gives me. But I can control my attitude in response to how much homework my teacher gives me. Right? That's my choice. The level of homework is their choice. I can't control if my dad divorces my mom. I can't control if my mom smacks me with a baseball bat. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I can't control a lot of events of my life. My tire goes flat. My car runs out of gas. I failed my driver's test. I don't know what, 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 what's going on in your life. You can't control those types of circumstances. You can't always choose those circumstances. But think of this, guys. In every case, you can control your attitude. You choose your attitude. You always have the power to control how you respond. You probably heard this statement. I think somebody's even said it Sunday. Life is you know, not, not mostly about what happens to you, but about how you respond to it. It's 10% it's what happens to you and 90% the attitude you choose to have in response. You always have the power to choose your... And sometimes you'll have somebody come on, what's wrong with you? You'll complain about the day or complain about the circumstances or complain about what's going on. And, and so we're so good at justifying in our mind I am, am allowed to have a bad attitude because 
This is what happened to me today. And so my attitude stinks. And I'm, and I'm justified in having a bad attitude because of the things that happened to me today. And in reality, that's not the truth. God says, you always have the power to choose your attitude. Next one, here we go. A bad attitude shows itself in several ways. And I listed three of them. And I wanted, the, the point here is, I wanted you to understand something. When I say a bad attitude, I'm not always talking about a rebellious teenager. It's not just grumpy people that have bad attitudes. I know, I know people that have bad attitudes that are cynical. What do I mean by cynical? They just, they have a, a general perspective of disrespect towards a Bible study or towards a teacher. And they're not rebellious, they're not scornful, they're not um, total reprobate, but they've just got this attitude. I'm better than them, I can look down, I, I can be cynical, I can be sarcastic, and that attitude is just as bad as being rebellious or, or having some kind of real scornful attitude. It, it, sometimes a bad attitude shows up in, in, in different emotions in different ways, but I listed cynicism and rebellion and sarcasm. I think amongst teenagers, cynicism and sarcasm are just as prevalent as rebellion. Frankly, in a good group like this, there's not a whole lot of rebellious teenagers. But there's a lot of cynical teenagers. There's a lot of sarcastic teenagers. And in a group like this, we're not, a lot of us aren't fighting, you know, blatant rebellion and defiance and, and you know, scorn. A lot of times our attitude problems in this room is we're cynical and we're sarcastic about stuff that we shouldn't be. And it's, we just don't have a Christ-like Holy Spirit created attitude or spirit about us, about a circumstance, about a teacher. And uh, sometimes it's like the 11th grade can't stand the 12th grade. Sometimes it's the 9th grade can't stand the 10th grade. I don't, I don't understand where it all comes from and why. I just know that those attitudes are just as wrong as outright rebellion or outright scorn. They're just a little harder to, to see sometimes. Cynical, sarcastic. So bad attitudes show up a lot of different ways. Next. The Holy Spirit never generates a bad attitude, no matter how justifiable it is by human reasoning. Now think about this, guys. Whenever you are occupied in your, in your heart and mind by a bad attitude, whether it's cynical or sarcastic or rebellious or scornful, whatever it is, that is not God putting that in you. You might as well wear a sign that says, I'm saved, but I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. The way I am right now is me and my flesh and my natural response. It is not God. And you can just mark it down. And I, this is convicting to me too. Because, man, something goes wrong in my life. I want to, man, that stinks. And, and the whole that stinks approach to life is not a Holy Spirit approach. You're never going to find the verse in the Bible, this is the stinky day that the Lord hath made. It surely stinketh, you know. You're, you're, you're going to read that about Lazarus. You're, 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 Lazarus, you're not going to read that about your day. God doesn't say, yeah, it's okay sometimes to just have a life stinks kind of approach. But you know what? And this hurts me. This hurts me for you sometimes. Sometimes I see teenagers. That is the one channel of their life. Life stinks. Everything stinks. Everybody stinks. Every teacher stinks. Every class stinks. Life stinks. And there are some teenagers 
That's, they just, they're on that channel. Some, maybe it's part of their personality. Maybe something bad happened in their life. They've never forgiven or let God put grace back where that happened. They've, they've never been healed. Whatever it is, they're just stuck on the channel of life stinks. And that's a, that is a rotten way to live life. So the Holy Spirit never generates a bad attitude. Next one. Nothing has a greater impact on the outcomes of your life than the attitudes you choose. And we saw that with Daniel just a minute ago. Nothing has a bigger impact than the attitudes you choose. Where you end up in life, guys, girls, will be more a product of your attitude than anything else. It's, it's more than education. It's more than, than, than every other factor. It's more than your gifts and abilities and your athletic and your music and your, how good you are and how great you are because everybody wants to work with somebody. Everybody wants to marry somebody. Everybody wants to love somebody that has a good attitude. All right? That's just the bottom line. You guys know that as well as I do. Nobody hates bad attitudes worse than teenagers. I mean, how many of you would like to spend time with a grumpy adult? No hands. I mean, grumpy adults just repel teenagers. You guys like to laugh. You like to have a good time. You like to enjoy life. And when you're around somebody with a bad attitude, it just if, when your parents have a bad attitude, it, it irritates you. Man, you want to get away from that. You want to avoid that. So your attitude is going gonna, is gonna to have a lot to do with how your life turns out. I had a huge lesson not long ago in attitude adjustment. And this story is a goofy story. But it's probably, as I was putting this Bible study together, the Holy Spirit kind of reminded me this is one of the biggest lessons I've had, and a simple lesson, but it, I'm talking about it a month or two later, so that's how it stayed with me. Um, I like gadgets, I like computers, and I like Apple computers. And um, I like my iPhone, and I use it, I use it a lot, enjoy it. And uh, when they announced there was a new iPhone, I thought, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get one of those. And it, it really makes sense because I could sell my old iPhone for more money and sell it on eBay and then take that money and buy the new one. So it ends up, actually I made $130. So it wasn't a cost factor. Uh, I was able to sell my old one and buy the new one and come out ahead. And so I kind of planned when they announced there was gonna be a new phone, I thought, okay, I'll, you know, I'll strategize this and I'll try to order this phone on the day that they release it. And it's not about like an addiction to me, it's really more about just common sense. I wanted to sell my phone while it had some value and. Uh, if I need to wait, I could wait. It's really not that big of a deal. I like it, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to bow down and worship it. Um, and, but the day that they launched, I decided to try to get online and, and buy my phone. And sure enough, it didn't work. The system was overloaded and too many people were buying phones. And I happened to be taking pastor to the airport that day and dropping him off. And uh, so I thought, well, there's an Apple store by the airport. I'll run by there and I'll see if they can place an order for one for me. And uh, I just wanted it delivered to my house. That's all I wanted. I didn't want it. I didn't want to go to the store to pick it up. I didn't want to wait for it. I just wanted the UPS guy to come and go, here's your phone. Uh, and then I was going to sell mine and sell, send it on eBay and get it out. And so I got to the store after I dropped Pastor off at the airport and got, walked into the store and I asked the guy, can you put a phone on order for me that will deliver to my house on you know, the day they're supposed to ship? And he said, he, he tried. He said, I can't get online. The system's not working. It's all overloaded. Too many people are ordering phones. He said, but you can, you can place an in-store order. And I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you can pick it up in the store. And he made it sound like, hey, just come by, and you know, five minutes later, we hand you your phone, and you're gone, and it's great. So I said, okay, great. Order me a phone then, and I figured I'll drive back to the Apple store on the day they come out, because that was a Thursday, and I was off. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll make a day of it. I'll go to Chick-fil-A. That makes the trip worth it. And, and uh, so, 
Couple weeks go by, I list my phone on eBay, it sells. I promise the guy that bought it, I'm gonna ship it out on the day that my phone arrives. So I, so I, I have a phone and I can't go for days and days without a phone. And so I thought this will work great. I'll go get my phone, I'll package my other one up, I'll ship it out and I'll be good to go. And so the day arrived and me and Larry got in the car and I don't remember, uh, Lance was in New York, I think, already, and Dana and Haley were somewhere. And um, me and Larry drove down to the Apple store. And we get out of the car, and I kid you not, the line at the Apple store was like a mile long. And, and I think that's, is that pretty close? Half a mile, maybe? I mean, they, and I'm like, ah, stupid people, they didn't order their phones. I don't have to wait in line because I pre-ordered mine. So I go up to the guy and I said, hey, where do we uh, get our phones if we pre-order them? He goes, this is the pre-order line. The half mile long line was the pre-order line. So I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. And I'm thinking, unless this line is going ridiculously fast, there's just no way I'm gonna wait in this stupid line. So we, we turn the corner of the store where we think the line ends and it actually keeps going all the way around. And it just, he, I mean, it was just ridiculous down at Victoria Gardens and just all through the stores and parking lot and people. And we finally found the end of this line and we go stand and Larry looks at me like, you gotta be kidding me, Dad. We cannot be gonna stand here in this line. And I looked at him, I said, hey, relax. We're, we're not gonna stay here. If this doesn't move really fast, we're not gonna stay here. But I'm sitting there thinking, even if it moves fast, this is several hours, you know? And I don't wanna spend that kind of time. I don't want this phone this bad. And I told Larry, you know what? Let's just go. And good night, I'll buy a phone in two weeks or something. I don't even care. So I went and told the guy, I said, you know, I think we're just going to go. And then it hit me. I sold my phone. I got to ship my phone. I'm toast. I've got to wait in this stupid line. And the great guy at the Apple store, he looks at me and he says, hey, listen, just come back tonight and the line will be gone. If you come back at like 8.30, we're closing at 9. If you come back at like 8.30, you'll be in and out like 10 minutes and it'll be no problem. And I thought, oh. Good night. I already drove down here. I'm going to drive all the way back home and come back tonight. But I thought, you know what? This is an eight-hour, ten-hour line. There's no way I'm standing in this line. So I said, okay, let's go. So we left. We went and shipped my phone. Larry gave me his old phone. So I'm using this little rinky-dink thing. You know? I can't even figure out how to text on it and stuff. You know? And um, we come back at 8.30, and the line is now um, half the size that it was. And I got in that line at 8.30. Now I'm, now I'm toast. I have no choice. But, but basically, I shipped my phone. I need a phone. And I got in that line. I looked at Larry. And I'm, think, I'm thinking, poor Larry. He's here with me. And Lance came back with us at that point. And, the, and, and he wasn't in New York. He was gone somewhere. So he was with us at that point. And we're standing there in this line. And I got a really bad attitude. I got to tell you. I'm standing there like, this is so stupid. I can't believe I'm standing here waiting for this stupid phone. I don't want this phone this bad. The people in line with me, I'm complaining to them. This, I can't believe this. You know, and I'm not mad at them. I'm not mad at the store. I'm just frustrated that I'm wasting time standing in line. I've got too many things to do in life to stand in line. You know? And Larry, I don't know what happened to him, but somewhere along the way, he just decided, I'm going to teach Dad how to have a good attitude. <laughs> and he starts, do you guys ever start acting real goofy with your parents? That's what he started doing. He's like, come on, Dad, let's have a good time. And he starts elbowing me, and he starts making faces at me. You know, he's going, he goes, come on, Dad, smile. And he goes, real big smile. And he goes, come on, show me your smile, Dad. And I go, he goes, no, 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 no. Come on, Dad, 
Yeah. And he's doing all these faces, and finally I cracked up, and we got in that line at 8.30. We left that line at 1.30 a.m. With a phone. <laughs> and a good attitude. And I'm telling, I'm sitting there, and he, go, he said, Dad, come on. This is something we'll be laughing about a year from now. This is something, you know, for the rest of our lives, we'll be talking about this and laughing at this. Come on, Dad, have a good attitude. And I, I stood there in that line, and, and I will never forget the experience, not because of the phone, not because of, of the people, not because of the whole nonsense. I, I still, to this moment, feel so stupid that that happened to me that way and those circumstances unfolded. But the big lesson to me was my 16-year-old son bringing the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God on my life and of all people that would have, should have, justifiably had a bad attitude, it's the kid that his parent made him stand in the line and he wasn't even getting a phone. And I'm standing there thinking, Larry's getting nothing out of this deal. He's not getting my old phone. He's not getting a tip. He's standing here with me in line for no reason but to cheer me up. And I thought, Lord, that is the kind of attitude I'd like to have in my life. Now I'm embarrassing him and he's here because he didn't, he didn't know I was going to tell this story. But I'm telling you, that little experience, here I am, Mr. Pastor, with a rotten attitude, and here my teenager is, Mr. 16-year-old, with a great attitude. And it, it, it was convicting to me. I thought, man, that is a great life lesson. Here's a situation where you really can't control the circumstances and you really wish you could change them. But you can control your attitude. You can control your spirit. And you can choose to have the right attitude. Now let's take a quick look, number one, at the story of a bad attitude. Turn to Jonah, if you will. Jonah. And I'm just going to touch on these for time. I probably shouldn't have told that long of a story, but it was extremely convicting to me. Jonah is... uh, toward the back part of the Old Testament, just before Micah. It's after Daniel, so you go, go toward the New Testament from Daniel. And this is awesome. This little book of the Bible is an amazing book. Most of you know the story of Jonah. If you haven't read it in a while, or if you haven't heard it, a lot of people in here have never heard the story of Jonah, you ought to read it. It's four chapters. It's a short story. Uh, but it is a powerful story. And here it is in a nutshell. Jonah is a preacher. He's a prophet. He's a God-called preacher. And God comes to Jonah in chapter 1, and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now listen, Nineveh was a a huge Assyrian city. It was the most powerful city of of that empire of that day. It was a wicked city. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go to that city, and I have a message for them, and I want you to cry out against it. I want you to preach my message. I want you to tell them, listen, of my message wrath and judgment on their sin and I want you to call them to repentance and honestly it was a message of love it was a message of grace it was a message of God saying to Nineveh I want to save you I want to spare you but you've got to repent you've got to turn to me I'm the one true God now listen guys this is Jonah's life call this is what his mission in life is to be God's man to share God's message but Jonah's got a problem Jonah is territorial. Jonah is a Hebrew. He's a Jew, and he doesn't like the people of Nineveh. They don't deserve God's love. They don't deserve God's grace. He's got an axe to grind with them. 
He wants them destroyed. They're enemies of Israel and they're enemies of God. And instead of having God's heart, instead of having God's perspective and obeying God's command, you know the story. When God says, go to Nineveh and preach, Jonah says no, and he runs the other direction. He gets on a ship to Tarshish. A storm comes up. God won't let Jonah destroy himself. Mark this down if you, if, if you don't get anything else out of the story. Jonah was on a path of self-destruction. He had a rotten attitude. He had a rebellious attitude. He was destroying himself. And he, God, I should say, God intervened. God said, Jonah, I love you too much to let you wreck your life. I love you too much to let your attitude destroy you. And so God used the storm and God used the fish. And you know the story, the men throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by a whale. As soon as he gets overboard, the whale and the storm, both ways of God sparing Jonah. We think of it as punishment. It's not punishment at all. It was not punishment. It was God intervening to prevent Jonah from a greater destruction. So he's in the belly of the whale for how many days? Three days. And what happens? The whale gets sick and uh, basically pukes him up on land. Vomits him up. And he's out on the land and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah again. It says, now, go to Nineveh and preach. So Jonah... Now this time decides, okay, that's better than being in the belly of a whale. And he grudgingly, even though he acknowledged and cried out to God, he never really repented in the belly of the whale. He never admitted to doing anything wrong. So against his will, even with sin in his life, he goes to Nineveh. He goes into the middle of the city, begins to cry out against Nineveh, against their wickedness and about God's judgment, and repent to God and come back to God. And they do. I mean, massive revival in Nineveh, and if you're a truly God-called prophet with a great attitude, you're going to love what you're seeing, that these people are turning to God. And Jonah gets angry. He gets angry that these people are essentially getting saved, that they're turning to God, and that God is going to spare them. So a bad attitude gets worse. And next thing you know, Jonah, literally, the whole city's getting saved, and Jonah's stinking mad about it. Life stinks, and he hates it. Now, go to chapter um, 3 and verse 10. And this kind of is the apex of the story of Jonah's bad attitude. And God saw their works, this is Nineveh, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. But, verse 1 of chapter 4, but it, what? displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. Bad attitude. Rotten attitude. Now let's fill in the, uh, the blanks real quick. Number one, Jonah's attitude led him to rebellion. Jonah's attitude led him to rebellion. Number two, Jonah's attitude led him to very bad decisions. I'm going to run. You can't run from God. I'm going to get on a ship. I'm going to sleep in the middle of a storm. I'm going to commit suicide. Just throw me overboard. I mean, Jonah's rotten attitude took him away from God and away from everything else good in life and bad decisions. Now, number three, Jonah's attitude led him into impossible hardship. Point being, a bad attitude makes things worse, makes circumstances worse. Next one, Jonah's attitude robbed him from all the joy of life. Here it is, a whole city coming to God and Jonah can't find a smile. Jonah can't see anything good about it. I've, I've been there. I've been at major youth events, teen camps, rallies, conferences, 
day at Disneyland, and everybody's having a great time, but one teenager. It's like, it's, and, and no matter what happens good, they can't see anything good about it because of their bad attitude. Jonah's attitude next, and this is important, caused him to resent God's ministry of reconciliation. He didn't, he didn't want to be God's man. He didn't want to win anybody to the Lord. He didn't want God to forgive anybody. He didn't want anybody to come back to God. His attitude turned him away from his whole purpose in life. Just having a rotten attitude. Now, real quick, go to Genesis chapter 39. And let's see the story of a good attitude. And you talk about a contrast. Nobody ever had a better reason to have a bad attitude than Joseph. Joseph was a favorite son with a whole bunch of older brothers. You've probably heard the story. He, uh, his brothers sell him into slavery. He gets purchased by Potiphar. So he gets taken away from home, taken into captivity. Everything goes bad in his life. He decides to have a good attitude. He decides to respond positively to really bad circumstances. And he's favored. And he's promoted. And he's given responsibility. And he, and he does well. And then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. She's trying to get him to be immoral with her, commit adultery. He runs. She accuses him and says that he was trying to rape me. And Potiphar believes his wife and ends up throwing Joseph. Now he's in jail. So, so here you are, just an innocent young man, honoring the Lord, honoring your dad, living your life. Next thing you know, you're sold as a slave. Next thing you know, you're, in captive, uh, you're captive at a, at a man's house being uh, used to manage his house. So next thing you know, you're falsely accused and thrown into prison and basically left to die. You've done nothing to deserve this. You've done nothing, no reason this should happen. Nobody in this room has faced circumstances like Joseph faced. Now I want you to go to Genesis 39 and um, look at, at verse 20. This is in the prison. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were bound. He was there in the prison, verse 21. But the Lord was what? Was with Joseph. Joseph, look up here with me for a minute. In the midst of terrible circumstances, Joseph said, I'm still going to keep a right heart towards God. I'm going to keep my attitude right. I'm going to keep my spirit right. God said, I'm going to be with that. I'm going to bless that. And showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. There it is. That's almost the same word as preferred. Gave him favor. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Joseph ends up being in charge of the whole prison. And look at verse 23. This is really important. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, read the rest of the verse. The Lord made it to prosper. Let me ask you a question. What did Joseph do that caused God to say, I'm going to favor him. I'm going to make everything he does turn out good. Why would God favor Joseph and miraculously prefer him and make everything he did to prosper? Because he had a good attitude. Because when everything was going wrong, Joseph made a choice. 
I'm still God's. I'm still going to have a right heart towards God. I'm still going to honor God. And the Lord was with him. Real quick, fill in the blanks. Joseph had every human reason to have a bad attitude. He had every human reason to have a bad attitude. Joseph allowed God to be with him and to keep his spirit right. That's the second one, to keep his spirit right. The third blank, Joseph's attitude brought him great favor with God and man. And you know the rest of the story, and if you don't read it, he eventually is elevated right under Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I'm putting you in charge of everything. And he essentially saves the whole country from seven years of famine because his good attitude kept him right with God and his relationship with God, God blessed everything he did and made it to prosper. Joseph was incredibly preferred and did incredibly well in life because when things went bad, he kept a good spirit. Uh, Next, Joseph's attitude brought great blessing in his life. And I love this, and I wish I had more time to teach it. Joseph's attitude helped him embrace God's ministry of reconciliation. You know, the end of the story, Joseph forgives his brothers. Joseph says, you know what, you you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Here you got Jonah, a prophet of God, saying, I wish God would just destroy all these people. I'm, I'm so angry that they're getting right with God and that they're getting saved. And then you got Joseph, who had a right to say, I wish God would kill all my brothers for what they did to me. And Joseph said, no, I want God to forgive my brothers because I forgive them. And I want to be reconciled. So the guy that had nothing going wrong in his life had a rotten attitude and rotten spirit. And the guy that had everything going wrong in his life had a good attitude. And all of it ended blessed and great. And God favored him because of his good attitude. Awesome comparison. Incredible story. Now let's talk about shaping your own convictions and we're almost done. I want you to see something. Go back to Jonah for a minute. And this was so cool to me. Go back to Jonah. The way this book ends is really almost bizarre. Here's the end of the book, okay? God is talking to Jonah. I'm talking the last couple verses of the book. God is speaking to Jonah. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Now imagine that. God said, hey, Jonah, that bad attitude you got, are you, is, are you have a good reason to have a bad attitude? And Jonah, to God, you bet I got a good reason to be angry. And by the way, at this point, you know why he's angry? Because, the, because a plant died. He's not even angry anymore because the city got saved. Now he's angry because a plant died. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither made it to grow, which came up a night and perished at a night. And God, now this is so incredible. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? Listen to what God says. This is the end of the book. God says, Jonah, you're angry because a plant died. You care about a plant. But Jonah, I care about people. You love a plant, Jonah. You want to save a plant. You want a plant to be alive. 
I want 600,000 people to be alive. And you know what God basically says to Jonah? Jonah, your attitude, your spirit right now, the condition of your life, God says, Jonah, I'm not the problem here. You're the problem. Now, this leads me to this statement, and if you don't take anything else away, take this one. When I have a bad attitude, I am the problem. When I have a bad attitude, I am the problem. And that's really what God says to Jonah. Jonah, your attitude, you're the problem. And I say to every teenager in this room, and I say it to me, when I have a bad attitude, when you have a bad attitude, it's not that somebody mistreated you. It's not that you got a demerit you didn't deserve. It's not that you wish something was different. It's not the circumstances. When your attitude is wrong, you're the problem. Not anybody else or, anyone else, or anything else. I am the problem. Now I want you to take a minute and stop and think about what we've talked about. And I want 60 seconds and then we're done. And I'll tell you what, before you write anything else, just give me your eyeballs and, and, and your attention. I'm going to wrap it up with this. When I was your age, something became really obvious to me about life, just a general principle about life. And that was everywhere you go, in every, every possible circumstance you can possibly imagine, there's always two groups of people. There are always people with good attitudes, and there are always people with bad attitudes. I don't care what church you go to, there's people with good attitudes, people with bad attitudes. I don't care how good the teacher is, how good the school is, how crummy the school is. I don't care where you are. You could be at Disneyland on a beautiful day and find people with bad attitudes. This line, this is too expensive. I can't believe this. Everywhere you go in life, there are people that fall into two categories. That person's got a good attitude. That person's got a bad attitude. And in every situation, about all kinds of different situations. And I, I ran out of time tonight. I had something I was going to do. We'll maybe do it next week. You didn't make the cheerleading squad and somebody else did. You didn't make the singing ensemble and somebody else did. Somebody else got preferred above you. <laughs> Everywhere you go, there's people with good attitudes and bad attitudes. And when, somewhere around 15, I made a decision. Lord, I want to land in the good attitude camp. Now, I haven't been successful at that 100% of the time, as my story about the iPhone store illustrates vividly. But I can tell you, generally, in, over the course of my life, since I was 15, I think I could tell you I came down on the good attitude side more frequently than the bad attitude side. And when I'm around people with bad attitudes, I just, I just gravitate away. Because that stuff is contagious, it's cancerous. And the internet is pff, the perfect place for it. I mean, you get on Facebook tonight, you'll find teenagers with bad attitudes. I mean, that just, it's like the breeding ground for bad attitudes. And when I started using Facebook and Twitter, I decided this is not for me to find people with bad, I'm not going to, I'm going to use this with a good attitude and a right spirit and I'm going to I'm going to be friends with people with good attitudes. I'm going to choose to have a good attitude. 
And, I'm, and, I'm, and I believe that God honors it when you just simply say, Lord, let me land on the side of a good attitude. When things don't go my way, when things are out of my control, when people are doing things I wish they wouldn't do, when things don't even make sense, when it seems all unfair and all one-sided, I'm just going to have a good attitude. You could make that decision. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.